0: Well, once again, good morning, everyone. <coughs> kind of, I think, uh, you know, frankly, preaching makes me a little nervous. But, uh, but the, probably the most fun is being able to see people. You know, during the sermon, normally I just see uh, Shelby the back, of Shelby's head. But, uh, but when you preach, you get to see everybody. You get to make eye contact, and that's more fun. I met Kathy this morning, but failed to introduce you. Sorry, Kathy, that I was supposed to have done that for you. But uh, if there are others here that I'm sure there are others here that I don't know, then I would like to meet you too. So feel free to track me down after the service. I'd like to shake your hand and meet you. Um, uh, Dale mentioned, I don't know if you caught it, that uh, most of our elders are at a, um, not a retreat, but a conference in Minneapolis this weekend. Dale wanted to go, but they had to leave someone back to do quality control on the sermon. So that's why, that's why Dale's still here and uh i'd like to continue in woody's sermon uh woody's mini series uh gospel driven perspectives in politics it's a timely subject if you haven't noticed it's an election year uh you you prob- that probably had not escaped you but just for fun and this is brief but just for fun we can uh, do let's do a little civics lesson this morning shall we now if you're under uh 12 years old some of these faces might uh be new to you but i recognize all these faces i bet I bet that uh, you guys do too. Anybody can do presidents, right? Well, back certain, unless you know the song, you can't go all the way back. But, uh, but I can go about, th- I can go that, I can, I can go that far back. But who, who can do vice presidents? Okay, who's our current vice president? Joe Biden. Gotta have a first name too, Joe Biden. Okay, who was, uh, who was on Dick Cheney? Wait for the question. Dick Cheney was the previous VP. And who served in the Clinton administration, Vice President? Oh, there's a lot of mumbling. The, 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 the Al Gore. You know, he invented PowerPoint presentations, too. So, you have to be old to get that joke. And uh, under um, the Bush administration, Bush won. who was his VP? Oh, who said that? Good job, Dan Quayle. Dan Quayle. And, um... Uh, and who served under Ronald Reagan? Wow, oh, you got some good people, smart people out there. George Bush. Okay, extra credit. Who served in the Carter administration? <laughs> yeah, anybody? Walter Mondale. Okay, you can fill out your Scantron and put them in the box on your way out. That's just for fun. We're not going to do any more tests. I promise. But before we do, we're we're actually going to try and cover something a little bit more important than vice presidential candidates this morning. But uh, before we do, let's actually review where Woody has already taken us. Let's review what he uh, has spoken about. Woody spent quite a bit of time, actually, introducing this notion of a worldview. And and he did a really good job, and he made the point that everyone's got one. Everyone has a worldview. And a worldview, I thought he had a great definition He said that a worldview is an explanation and an interpretation of this world. Each one of us has one. Each one of us is confronted with the world around us, and each one of us has to make sense of it. What is the deal? What is going on around me? Why are things like they are? Why are people like they are? That's our explanation. We all find some footing somewhere that helps us explain the the world. And then our interpretation. What are you going to do with that? Once you have a grip of some kind, what are you going to do with it? And that's your worldview. Your worldview is your explanation and your interpretation of how, uh, of how the world is. And he went on to talk about how the same people uh, can experience the same circumstances, but because they may have very different worldviews, they have very different reactions to the exact same circumstances. You know, it kind of makes sense. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian then you see the world through Christ-colored lenses. You have a Christian worldview. And a Christian worldview gives you the ability um, to do some things that uh, unbelievers just, just can't. You know, for instance, um, you can experience, as a, with a Christian worldview, you can experience some degree of, of joy even in the midst of the death of a loved one. I'm not saying you're happy that no one's happy their loved one passes away. But Christians uniquely can find some pleasure in, in the death of another Christian. Um, first, let, first Thessalonians 4.13 says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Believers have hope. And that's because of a Christian worldview. Praise God. And uh, and I, my thoughts gravitate. I point over here because that's where the wooths always sit. My thoughts gravitate to the wooths. And... Um, you know Christians are unique in that we can we can interpret trials as having a long term benefit. Nobody enjoys trials. I'm sure the Wu's are not happy that they're in a hospital in Reno right now, but but in the long run, they and we can look forward with in hope to what the Lord will do. The Lord did not invent leukemia. The Lord did not did not invent sin. The Lord did not invent pain or trial. But the Lord, miraculously, to his own glory, can take those circumstances that are messed up and he can turn them into something beautiful. And only he can do that. James 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance character and character hope. God can take something really bad and he can make something of it. Praise God. And then uh, we're talking about a Christian worldview, and I just have one more example. If you have a Christian worldview, you can experience, you can have peace. And not just peace, you can have um, inexplicable peace. You can have mysterious peace, peace that just doesn't seem right, peace that no one else can explain because, because God get, can, will give you that peace. Philippians 4, 4-6, you can probably say it with me says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the, and the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Praise God. These are fabulous blessings we have in Christ. This is part of your um, Christian worldview. So that's really important. Those are good lessons. I was glad Woody dwelt on those. That may not sound very political, you know, but uh, but your worldview shapes how you see everything. It shapes how you spend your money. It shapes uh, what relationships you choose and what relationships you let go. It, cho- it, it shapes your view of politics. It shapes your view of government. And it would be really nice if we could turn to a passage in the Bible that talks about how to do government. You know, it would be really nice if we had a long number of chapters that said this is what government should do and this is, this is what government should jump in with both feet and this is what government should really keep their fingers out of. And Leviticus might be that set of chapters, but I've read Leviticus, and I, it's hard, I'm hard-pressed to find a, a lengthy description of what government is and what government should be there. But there are a few, um, are a few passages. In fact, we're going to look at one this morning, Romans 13. If you want, you can start turning in your Bible to Roman thir- Romans 13. And Romans 13 talks about a Christian's relationship to government. So we may not have a blueprint for what government should be, but we have some pretty good direction on how on what we should do with it, on how we should relate to it. And uh, let's let's take a minute and pray that the Lord would bless our time in his word. Father, thank you so much for our church, for our church family, really for you being our father and drawing us together into one family as a result. Lord, we honor you and we love you. And Lord, I'm very grateful for our government and I'm grateful for the country that you have made the United States into, Lord. I pray that uh, each of us in this room would submit ourselves to you and do whatever you tell us to do regarding government. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, you, you may already be there, Romans. We're going into the book of Romans. You know, if you uh, if you're new to church, it's you know when when the it seems like the pastor always says, "Let's go. Let's all turn to Second Hezekiah." And I'm like thumbing myself to death. I can't. If you don't know where Romans is, there's a table of contents in the front of the book. Don't be ashamed to look at the table of contents. All right, Romans chapter 13. Those are the big numbers. The verses are the little bitty numbers embedded in the text. So we're going to read the first seven verses of Romans 13. It says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. That's also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. And if honor, then honor. It's a good passage. It's pretty straightforward, don't you think? I think it is. But having said that, let's just summarize it. Let's just go over it together real quick. Maybe. Can you help me? They're working on that. Let's summarize it. Verse 1. Verse 1 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. You know what that means? That means we should be subject to the governing authorities. You know, that's uh, that's not rocket science there. It's not rocket science, but it's surprising how often we dance around it. You know, the governing authorities, I'm sorry to say the governing authorities include speed limits. The governing authorities include city ordinances. It includes teachers at your school. Teachers at your school. The county commissioners, your employer's policies. That's a little hard. One more, please. Thank you. We should submit to the governing authorities. Um, and, and that could be kind of hard. There's lots of sources of authority. There's a, there's numerous people in our lives to whom we owe obedience and uh, so it's not just the united states federal government that we're talking about here there's a number of authorities we should submit to why why do i give a rip what they say in their building code or whatever well what the because is because of the very next one god has established the existing authorities and so rebelling against them is like rebelling against god I, i i didn't make this up i mean this is not chris ward commentary it comes right out of the verse it says uh, they exist because they've been established. Consequently, whoever rebels is rebelling against what God has instituted. I mean, this is, this is really straightforward kind of stuff, which is good for me. The, sec- the back half of that same verse says, uh, says that bad things happen to those people that disobey the government. That's, that's true. <laughs> it says, he goes on to verse 3. He says, if you do right, you don't have to fear the government. And if you do wrong, you've got really good reason to fear the government. It's the government's job to punish evildoers, including the use of lethal force. Now, I, I'm not here this morning to argue about capital punishment, but the verse says, right in verse 4 there, it says that the, 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 he, um, the ruler is God's agent of wrath. That's, that's like enforcement, that's punishment. An agent of wrath for the evildoer, and he does not bear the sword for nothing. The sword is not an implement of spanking. The sword is not an implement of imprisonment. The sword is an implement of death. So I I think it's pretty clear that the Lord has granted the authority of capital punishment to uh, the government. Maybe you disagree. I don't don't, don't necessarily want to debate that point, but I think so. And then verse 5, he says something really interesting. He says that obedience is a matter of self-interest as well as a matter of conscience. You know, if you... uh, In your daily life, you will be observed by people wherever you go. And uh, and that's a part of everybody's life. And to the degree to which you obey laws when you're under the observation of others, you will benefit. I mean, that's just kind of a natural thing. Um, You'll benefit as a result. It's a matter of self-interest. But what what about when no one's watching? What about when you're alone, when you think no one can see what you're doing? God can see. And even in those times, it's a matter of conscience. So we're called to obey when we're observed and we're called to obey even when we're not. And in this verse 6 and 7, we're going to get into into this more later, but he talks about give everyone. He almost transitions, not, not explicitly, but he transitions from government and ruling authorities to, quote, everyone. And he says, give everyone what you owe them. And, of course, that's broader than just the government and it's probably broader than just money. He's not talking about necessarily giving people the money that you owe them but other things as well and we'll talk about that more you know and if i had to take those seven verses and kind of scrunch them down into one sentence i I would say we should submit to the governing authorities because those are the authorities that god has given permission to rule you know uh, how do you feel about that is that okay with you you know, when you think about submitting to the governing authorities, does that give you a sense of security? Or does that kind of put you back? I, I'm not really crazy about that. You know, it has much to do with your perception of the goodness or badness of your government. And uh, that will determine your emotional response to that. But uh, what about inept or bad or foolish uh, laws? Do we, do we still have to obey those? Does that make a difference? What if the, what if the law is really just ridiculous? Do we, do we need to obey that still? Or well, let's take it a step further. What if the government is not simply bad, um, but what if the, what if the government is uh, corrupt? What if it's blatantly evil? Does that change in any way our obligation to obey? You know, in my in my gut, I want to say, well, yeah, sure, I shouldn't have to obey stupid laws. Really, what I'm saying is, I should only obey, have to obey the laws I like. You know, and that's an important question we need to ask. And what about civil disobedience? Is it always bad? It says here. You know, you should submit to the governing authorities, and if you rebel, you're rebelling against God. So, so you know, what is that? In America, we kind of have a long tradition of civil disobedience. We actually kind of honor it. We don't, I mean, I don't have a great perception of demonstrators, but but in America as a democracy, we kind of uh, have respected civil disobedience for a long time. But it, on the face, it kind of doesn't look like it jives very well with Romans 13. And then this one really throws me, it says that all authority has been established by God. So does that mean God established Hitler and his government? It says that, right? All authority has been established by God. Did God establish Stalin? Did God establish Harry Reid? Uh. <laughs> now it's just coincidental. I I put him in the same bucket as Hitler and Stalin. Uh, I don't have I don't have an axe to grind necessarily with Harry Reid. But I figured a lot of you did, so I threw that in there. The the point is, what do we do about bad government? And I'm not necessarily calling Harry bad. But what do do we do, what do I do about bad government? It says God established it. It says I need to submit to it. Well, what if it's really bad? Uh, You know, is is there more to it than that? And uh, this is a bit of a side note, but I'm confident 40% of the people in this room are all thinking, well, what about the American Revolution? Did you just say that? Did you just say that? Yeah, I knew it. What what about the American Revolution? That comes up into my head every time I read this passage. What about the American Revolution? The American colonists were a bunch of ragtag farmers that beat the, the greatest superpower on the earth at the time. They won. They didn't win because they were more numerous or smarter or better equipped or better resourced or better trained. None of those things apply. The only reason they won is because God gave them a miraculous victory. God's the reason they won, right? And it, it seems contradictory to Romans 13 that God would do that. And uh, and furthermore, we all, when I'm talking about we, we all grew up in America being taught and believing that the American Revolution was noble and righteous and on the side of God. Wow, thank you. But... Uh, But that doesn't seem to jive very well with Romans 13 either. You know, 13 says, I don't exactly know which verse it is, but it says, Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And the same question, you know, extends not just to the American Revolution, but every revolution. Do citizens of, does God call, this is a good question, does God call every citizen of every country to submit to oppression if it exists, or to submit to tyranny if it exists? to submit to corruption? Those are important questions, right? So does God call us to submit to those things? Well, Gideon didn't submit to those things. you guys remember who Gideon is? He's a guy in the Old Testament, and uh, he's in Judges, the book of Judges, chapters 6 through 8. You can read about it later if you want. And uh, and we've studied him in Sunday school this morning, so I got a little review on Gideon this morning. But, um, but Gideon... Uh, Gideon was—he uh, led a national revolution of the Israelites against the ruling Midianites. You know, the Midianites were right in the category of the authority established by God. The whole—you whole, know—falls right into the Romans 13 thing. And Gideon led a revolution, and he didn't really want to. He was not eager to lead this revolution. In fact, God had to push him pretty hard. Gave him two, three, four, to some number of miracles. Um, in order to encourage him and persuade him, yes, I really want you to do this. The, you know, the only reason he led the revolution is because it was God's idea. Now, what in the world do we do with that? You know, why would God tell tell Gideon to lead a revolution and then tell us in Romans that don't you know submit? You need to submit. And Gideon's not alone. It, the Bible's full of examples like this. There's Daniel, Daniel chapter six. Um, you remember Daniel in the lions' den. Uh, You know, we used to tell our kids, what does the lion say? Rawr! What does the lion say to Daniel? Mmm. You get the joke? Anyway. Um, Daniel, the only reason he got pitched into the lion's den is because he intentionally broke the king's edict, the king's law. He was civilly disobedient, and he got tossed into the lion's den. Then there's the Hebrew midwives. This is way back in Exodus, before the whole Ten Commandments and Red Sea thing. The Israelites were uh, multiplying like rabbits and Pharaoh was really concerned by this. He, was, he felt militarily threatened by the population of Israelites. And so he called the Hebrew midwives in and he said, um, he, said he commanded them to kill the babies. Was it just the boys? Just the boys. Thank you. And he said, uh, just ki- I, if a boy child is born, I want you to kill the child when it's born. And they left and they disobeyed. And they didn't do it, and they let the boys live. And some amount of time later, it had to be six months, a year, it had to be a significant period of time later, he calls them back in. says, what is up? I told you to kill these children, and you're not doing it. And then they lied about it. It doesn't say explicitly they lied, but if you read the text, it seems to me like they lied about it. They made up this kind of excuse, and then they left. And then, very poignantly, God says, the scripture says, That God blessed them with children of their own. Presumably they didn't have children before that. It says God blessed them with children of their own because they feared him. Because they did the right thing. How how interesting is that? That's not very Romans 13-ish. Then there's Rahab. We studied Rahab in Sunday school. She uh, lied to the king's soldiers about where the spies were. She hid them. She did some treasonous stuff to uh, to her city of Jericho. And then God and yeah, just did that. Then there's the ex the whole exodus. You know, Pharaoh wanted those Israelites to stay put, but they chose to leave instead. You know, there's lots of examples in the Bible. Uh, first of all, these examples are in the Bible, which is kind of interesting. So God knows about these examples, and uh, they're in the Bible. They're numerous. We could go on. There's a whole slew of things Jesus did that were contrary to the authorities of his day, and uh, so they're they're numerous. They're in the Bible and the biggie is that God, in these examples, God explicitly rewarded their rebellion. Okay, so there's got to be more to this story. We're leaving something out here. There's, there's got to be an important piece of this puzzle that we just haven't gotten to yet. Um, so what gifts? So uh, how could God in Romans 13 tell us to not rebel, but, in, but there's plenty of examples in the Bible where people did rebel, and God rewarded them for that for doing so. In my opinion, probably one of the best, uh, you know, passages that helps us understand this conundrum is in Acts 4. So if you still got your Bible open, turn to Acts chapter 4. Now, I'll give you a little background while you're flipping pages. Um, Acts chapter 4, there's uh, Peter and John. Um, they're, uh, they're in Jerusalem at the gate, at one of the gates in near the temple. I don't know exactly which one. Anyway, there was a man who sat there every day. He was crippled. He was probably a paraplegic of some sort. I don't know. He was crippled. And he sat there every day. He was like a fixture in the community. Everybody knew this guy. They could see him every day. Every time someone went to the temple, you saw this guy. Your kids saw this guy. You talked about him at lunch, etc., cetera, et cetera. And so he, everybody knew who he was. They may not have known him personally. But uh, God chose to heal this guy and chose to heal him through Peter and John's ministry. And... Um, uh, and so the whole community knew about it. Hey, you know that guy, the one that used to sit right there? He's not there anymore. It's because he got, he's healed. God healed him. He can walk now. So the whole community knew about this miracle. And very ironically, the religious leaders of the day, this is the established authority part, the religious leaders of the day took great offense at this miracle. And it was because Peter and John had, decla- had proclaimed the miracle, had been done in Jesus' name, by Jesus' power, and this is the same Jesus that the religious leaders had successfully crucified just, uh, just uh, a little while before. So this was a great indictment. This miracle was a great indictment of the uh, religious leaders, showing that they had really goofed up, that God was vindicating something that they had done badly. That's not exactly what I meant, but you know what I meant by that. So anyway, that, that's the circumstance. So let's read. We're in uh, chapter 4. We're going to go down to like verse 16. And it says, oh, and these are the religious leaders speaking. And they said, what are we going to do with these men? They asked, everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. And then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak to them as Peter and John. says. they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. Wow. Let that last verse kind of sink in. He says, uh, judge, this is Peter and John. They've just been commanded to never speak again in the name of Jesus. And they, they don't even bat an eye. They say, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. Whether it's right in God's sight. So now we're talking about how does God feel about this? So, was, were these uh, was this ruling body was called the Sanhedrin? Were they the established ruling? Were they the established rulers of the day? Yes, yes, they were. Did they give an order to Peter and John? Yes, yes, they did. Did Peter and John obey? No, no, they did not. And why not? Because had they obeyed, had they obeyed the, the, the Sanhedrin, they would have disobeyed Jesus. And that's the key. That's a key for each one of us today. Uh, You know, in this passage, Peter elevates God's law above man's law. It's not like he elevated it. It wasn't higher than man's law before. He just points out the fact, reminds everyone that God's law is above man's God. Man's law. You know, and if an authority figure um, ever asks you to disobey God, you have the right to say no. If, uh, you know, just a couple examples, if your boss asks you to defraud an invoice... That's a lot of authority there. It's a lot at stake. You have the right to say no. According to God, you have the right to say no. If if a lawyer tells you you have to sign it, it's the only way, you have the right to say no. If the government passes a law that requires you to violate your conscience, you have the right to say no. That's, those, are, those are important concepts. You know, only God is sovereign. That means only God has unlimited authority. Everyone else, all men and our institutions have limited authority. God has unlimited authority. And when rulers, this is kind of a key, a key back to the whole American Revolution thing, but when men exceed their God-given authority, they, uh, they lose the right to demand your obedience. Now this is murky water, this is uh, subjective. This is a di- these are difficult decisions that everybody has to make in their own heart. But, uh, but those are the facts. You know, when um, uh, God's law trumps man's law. Now, for a time, uh, not very long, but for a time, I sat on a committee that hired teachers over at Logos Christian Academy. And we had this really pathetic uh, teacher application. I didn't like it, so I threw it away. And I, uh, and I made a new one. And on this on this application, I asked questions that I thought were important uh, of, ver- of applicants of potential candidate teachers. So I asked them about their sexual orientation, and I asked them about their uh, the history of their re- uh, not relationships, but I asked about their marital history, if they'd been divorced, and if so, how many times. I asked if they were currently living with a, a person in, in the opposite gender, and uh, and I don't know for sure, but I'm I'm confident that at least some of those questions are illegal to ask and it didn't matter it didn't matter because god's law trumps man's law and i was not gonna recommend the hiring or actually hire a, a teacher that was not submitted to god's law or was not willing to recognize it and submit to it and uh, and and you get the idea there now what could have happened well if we 'd had an applicant refuse to answer those questions because legally they don 't have to um, they they wouldn't have answered those questions they would have left that portion of the application blank, and we would not have hired them right and uh, and then they could have legally sued our little bitty school and they probably would have won right so there there could have been praise God there weren 't but there could have been legal repercussions for you know for doing that stuff and uh in um the point is that our our allegiance, our first allegiance is, is to God and not to men. And sometimes when we refuse to obey, we end up suffering as a result. Now, we read that story about um, Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. And in that story, they come before the men and say, Hey, you may, may not, never speak in Jesus' name again. And they say, Hey. You know, judge for yourselves whether it's right for us to, in God's sight to obey you rather than men. And they get a stern talking to, and then they're released. And we cheer Peter on. Yeah, go, Peter. Good job. Well, in the very next chapter, chapter 5, almost the same thing happens, and they get hauled in front of the uh, leaders once again. And, uh, and they say no, and they stand up. One same way, same kind of thing. And, they, and we cheer one more time. Yeah, Peter, way to go. You tell those people, Peter, what to do. Well, they didn't get released that time. They got bound and scourged, which means whipped, and then thrown in jail. Those are serious consequences. I mean, am I am I willing to do that for LCA for Logos? That that's kind of sobering. You know, would I have been willing to go to jail, much less being whipped? And uh, and then they said something that uh, I think is inspiring. Acts 5:41. Peter and John said they rejoiced to to be they rejoiced to have been counted worthy. Of suffering disgrace for the name, they uh, they didn't shy away from the suffering. They didn't say they didn't deserve it. God, how could you do this? We stood up for you, and then you let this happen to us. They kind of saw it coming, and they were willing to swallow that pill. And uh, and that's where we are, and that's we're in, we're in the same place. Let's go back to Romans. If you're if you're if you're not there now, Romans. Uh, here we go, verse three, starting at three. It says, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. God doesn't demand that we obey everything. God God doesn't command that we obey everything men tell us to do. God demands that we do right. Right? It's right out of the verse. I'll read it again to you. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. And if you do right, you'll be commended. so that's an important uh, concept. okay so is it everybody fired up to go rebel? Has, has everybody got a, a, a law or a rule or a policy that you're ready to go you know you know demonstrate we can all go break something together you know we can stop paying taxes. Who wants to take the muffler off their car? I'm going to go home and shoot my neighbor's dog. that's what I'm going to do but uh you know is this sermon just the fuel you needed to go go disobey you know is it licensed to go nuts well we just read romans 13:3 let's read romans 13:4 next verse he says for the one in authority is god's servant for your good but if you do wrong be afraid <laughs> that's poignant But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. You know, perhaps your conscience is different than mine. Perhaps your conscience is uh, sensitive, where mine is callous. Perhaps you're sensitive to issues that don't particularly get me worked up, you know. So everybody's different, and your consciences are probably a little different too. But uh, I've never had... I, Chris Ward, I've never had a sheriff's deputy tell me to do something that offended my conscience. Hmm. You know, and there are policies of our county, perhaps, or of our country, certainly. There are policies of of ruling bodies with which I disagree. Policies, I think, are immoral. Policies that I think are wrong. But I have yet, you know, in my life, I have yet to be told I have to do something that violates my conscience. And um, my problem my problem is not finding the courage to disobey. And that was Gideon's problem. And God had to kind of push him along with some uh, miracles to get him there. But my problem is not finding the courage to disobey. My problem is submitting to laws I don't like. And I predict that's the way this, this whole room is. I bet very few of us are are enjoying a great sense of freedom because now we can go disobey that thing that has plagued our conscience for so long. That's probably the great minority of people. But all of us probably face laws we don't like. And uh, and it's hard to submit to them. Why, why, why? Why do I have to buy a building permit to put a roof on my own house? It's my house. It's just a tax. I don't want to pay it. But the laws say I'm supposed to. Or why does the IRS want to know what stocks I buy and sell during the year? I paid tax on the income when I earned it. And now I have to pay tax again just because I'm trading stocks? It's none of their business. I don't want to tell them. But, God say, but the law says I'm supposed to. And, and why, this, I'm, I'm trying to project here for you guys, why do I need someone else's permission to protect myself in my, with my own pistol in my pocket when I walk around town? Now, you may have feel strongly about this. I don't want to start a debate. The, the point is, there are laws with which you might disagree and that you might feel are intrusive and none of their business. But the laws exist nonetheless. Why can't I dump my own stuff on my own land? It's my land. Why can't I dump my motor oil on my own land? I don't want to go to the, the transfer station or whatever the place is, you know? And whose idea, this really bugs me, who I, whose idea was it to set the speed limit of this street right here to 15? Have you guys driven on this street lately? It's probably like twelve. I don't know what it is. It's way too slow. And uh, you know, and these uh, these are examples. And you know, that last one's kind of silly. But there may be examples in your life where you are worked up about a, a law or an ordinance or a policy or an employer's rule or something. Some person in authority over you has levied some you know regulation that you don't like. And uh, in cases like those where my conscience is not involved. Now, this whole 15-mile-an-hour thing, you know, it bugs me. I don't like it. It's not an issue of sin, you know, that I have to go 15, you know. And, and if the law says I need a concealed carry permit, I should go get the dumb permit, you know. It's, it's not like I'm sinning by getting the concealed permit. You get the idea? It, in issues where it's not an issue, a matter of conscience, but just a matter of my ire, just a matter of my irritation and anger, in those cases... God calls me to obey. You know, you almost have to say that to yourself two or three times. In cases where my conscience is not involved, God calls me to obey. If you've ever filled out your own taxes, you know how easy it is to cheat? Way easy. It's almost trivial. They can never find out. There's lots of easy ways to cheat. But you know what? God calls us to obey. And if you watch the on-ramps between here and Reno, you can almost always go 80 but you know what? God calls us to obey, you know, and if you're like me, you can get to late work, you can get to work late every day, and your employer will never know and you can pay your bills at your desk, and your employer will never know, and you can send lots of personal emails and read lots of things on the and your employer will never know, but you know what God has called us to submit to the authority the authority figures in in our lives as if we were obe- as if we were submitting to him. And 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 that, and it bears mention that all this this whole directive this whole Romans 13 section came at a time when when Nero was emperor of Rome. He was horrible. He was horrible. He was a lunatic and he was terribly cruel and he murdered Christians for being Christians and in that environment Paul does not recommend rebellion. He recommended submission, right? Now that that would be hard. You know, if Paul can give advice like this under Nero, I, I have very little to complain about living in the United States of America. You know, when we submit to the ruling authorities, we usually are concerned about how it's going to turn out, what's going to happen to us as a result of submitting, right? And in those times, when we submit, to whom do we put our faith and whom do we trust? Well, if I'm doing something I really don't want to do, I have to say, okay, Lord, this is, this is on you now. You're going to have to work this out as you see fit. The Lord just loves that. The Lord loves it when we de- choose to depend upon Him regardless of the f- circumstances we face. In fact, I'd, I'd be willing to say that He does it on purpose, that He brings stuff into our lives that we don't like so that we're forced to say, oh, you know, Lord, this is really bogus. <laughs> you could change this if you wanted to, but... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what you say, and I'm going to leave the results to you. The Lord really likes that. I think, this is just my opinion, I think that God would prefer that we be submissive and wronged, have wrong done to us. I think God would prefer we be submissive and wronged than rebellious and right. You can decide for yourself if you agree. So earlier I asked, okay, who's fired up to go rebel? Who's fired up to go do something that you know we've been hankering to do for a long time? More likely, and now we're kind of transitioning a little bit here, more likely, um, is anybody here, you don't have to show your hands, any, anybody here unexpectedly compelled to repent? I predict it's much more likely that we're feeling the pangs of repentance than we are the eagerness to go disobey. You know, if that's you, and it was me, I had to repent of some stuff on this lesson. If, uh, if that's you, don't go home and think about it. I'll think about that when I get home. That's chicken. It is, right? If God has brought something to your mind to which you need to obey, now is the time for you to obey. Now is the time for you to choose that from now on I'm going to do it God's way, uh, not my way. It's important. Are you still in Romans? Let's go to the, the very end of the section and let's read verse 7. I think this is my favorite part. He says, "Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor." Okay, we're talking about giving honor and obedience, really honor I guess. Give everyone what you owe them. What is what is the opposite of submission? Rebellion. Right? I and mean, that's pretty that's pretty easy. The opposite of um Submission is uh, is rebellion. Now, 1 John 3, 4. This, is a, this should be our memory verse because it's only three words long. 1 John 3, 4 says, sin is lawlessness. I think that is so profound. I've spent like a couple days thinking about that. Sin is lawlessness. Short, sweet. Sin is lawlessness. If you're lawless, then there are no constraints upon your behavior. Right? If there are no laws that govern you, you can do whatever you want. If there, if you are lawless, if you have no law, you are the boss. In every regard, it's all about what you want. No one can tell you what to do. Lawlessness is the essence of being the king of your own life. And it's the essence of sin. It says right there, sin is lawlessness. And how ironic. What is the only thing you must give up in order to become a Christian? You don't have to volunteer at an orphanage. You don't have to give your money to the church. You don't have to come on Sunday morning to become a Christian. What do you have to give up to become a Christian? Lawlessness. Right? Romans ten nine. if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? That means you accept his rule. You accept his reign, his laws, if you will. You, know, you accept his, his uh, leadership. When you give those things up, you become a Christian, and it's not—you can come to church, you can you can volunteer at that orphanage, you can give your money, and it doesn't do a bit of good in God's eyes if you're lawless. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is the is the declaration that I am in charge of me, and uh and that's essentially what sin is. Um, if uh, you know, and so now tying this back to Romans thirteen. Uh, the, the last verse, verse 7, says, give people what you owe them. If honor, if honor, if respect, respect. If you're unwilling to obey the ruling authority, much less if you're unwilling to honor the ruling authority, then you're mired in sin, and it will destroy you. It will destroy you. You know, to whom do we owe honor and respect? Well, first and foremost, we owe it to God we owe it to God who is the boss of you that's a great question who is the boss of you if the answer is not God then you are in deep water you are in grave peril and you must submit yourself to Jesus Christ before it's too late if, if you need help with that ask any Christian if you don't know how to do that if that frightens you if you're concerned about that if the Lord's speaking to your heart ask any Christian any Christian will be able to explain to you what they did in their life how they submitted Jesus if you don't know a Christian come ask me uh, we can certainly f- solve that problem but after you've submitted to God, who's left? Who do to whom do we owe honor and respect? Well, those are good questions. You know, I need one more. Mark, your spouse is certainly on that list, right? You owe your spouse love. You owe your spouse respect. Um, uh, a coworker. There's always at least one coworker that bugs you, right? There's always at least one. And what do you owe that person? Maybe you owe that person a second chance. You know, that's hard. Maybe you owe them a second chance. What about your boss? You probably owe your boss a, a reasonable level of energy. You probably owe him punctuality. You probably owe him perseverance. You probably owe your boss a lot. And the verse says, give everyone to everyone what you owe them. What about that woman that drives you crazy? And it's not necessarily a woman, that person. Whoever that person is, what about that person that drives you crazy? What, what about your son-in-law? You know, is there, is there any father that thinks his daughter married somebody good enough? Probably not. You know, I can't think of anybody on earth good enough for my girls. But, uh, but what about your daughter-in-law? What about your family member? You know that one, the one I'm talking about, that family member. What do you owe that family member? Maybe you owe that person forgiveness. Maybe you owe that person love. Maybe you owe, Maybe it's as simple as you owe that person some some courtesy that you haven't been giving that person. I'm making this up, but you get the idea. You know who I often, uh, I was making this list of, of people you needed to respect. And uh, and then the Lord pointed out some people I need to respect, people to whom I have debts. You know who I have a debt to? That guy with the thing in his lip right here, you know, and then stud, 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 stud. And you know, I owe that guy the love of Jesus at the very least, and I have been withholding it for a long time. You know who else bothers? Actually, let me rephrase that. You know who else to whom I owe a debt of love is uh, people at freeway exits that ask for money. Now, maybe you're more sympathetic than I am. I have failed to give those people the love they deserve. <clears throat> we all have debts, we all have people around us that are either in charge of us or not in charge of us, to whom we owe various things. And uh, and and how about this is a great idea? How about if we give lip service to just honoring those people? Is that good enough? Duh, no, no. Clearly, obviously, no. Let's I mean let's not even bother with that. Let's not even go there. Let's be honest enough in our own hearts to say no. That's stupid. I got to do b-. doing that is doing nothing. Doing that is making it worse. What God wants from us, what God demands of us, is that we genuinely honor those to whom honor is due. Maybe you're ticked off at one of our elders. I don't know. I made that up. Maybe you're angry at a neighbor. Maybe a spouse, a kid. I don't know. Whoever it is, God genuinely demands that we give honor to whomever honor is due. And God demands that we obey Everyone to whom our obedience is due. Now those are hard. Those are that's a hard. Those are hard things to do. But when we do so, when we submit ourselves to Jesus in that way, we receive the peace that passes understanding, and God uh, can move in our hearts. All right. So let's let's uh, let's sum up, shall we? This is the uh, this is the, this is. I don't I don't think you can write this down, but maybe you can just listen for a second. This is a review of uh, some important stuff. Stuff that I think is important we covered this morning. First of all, unless it would be sin to do otherwise, you should obey the law. Unless it's a sin to do otherwise, you should obey the law. If it would be a sin to obey the law, don't do it. Bad laws, bad rulers, injustice, corruption, all that stuff is no excuse for disobeying the law. Conscience is the only reason to disobey the law. Okay, Um uh, there are people in each of our lives to whom we, we owe money, perhaps, or uh, respect, or love, or honor, or fairness. There are people in our lives to whom we have debts, to people to whom we owe. And we should give them what we owe them. We don't have to give them what they ask for necessarily, or give them everything we have. We have to give them what we owe them. And an unwillingness to submit is the essence of sin. Sin is lawlessness. An unwillingness to obey, an unwillingness to submit, is uh, is the essence of sin. So, this is a, this is a, another installment in our uh, gospel-driven perspectives on politics. Um, I hope it helped you. <laughs> it uh, it helped me. Let, let's let's close in prayer together. Father, thank you so much for uh, giving us uh, your word, the Bible. Thank you for these words t- reminding us of our uh, need to submit to those you have instituted over us. And in so doing, we trust you with the outcome. You are fair. You are uh, just. You make things, uh, you're trustworthy to make things work out as you see fit. That doesn't, ex- you know, I, I may end up suffering, Lord. But, Father, I pray that uh, that I would submit to you and do it your way. And I pray for all those here. I pray for our elders, that you bring them back safely. I pray for the Wuths, Lord that uh, you would bless Trevor's recovery and uh, give that family peace and security and show us how we can serve them and serve others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, have a great day.